0: friends, and welcome to the Universal Sisterhood Podcast. We're hoping to create a place where women can delve deeper, lift their gaze higher, live freer, laugh louder, smile brighter, and be the authentic woman she was designed to be. Every human heart has been created to be seen, known, and loved. So this is the place where women can share their story. Welcome to episode 103. Betty Friedan called it. The ache with no name. Thinking this ache was because their lives had no meaning, women left the home in droves, seeking fulfilment, purpose, success, money and power. However, six decades later, women are still plagued with this ache with no name. A desire for something they just can't quite put their finger on. The desire to nurture others is deep in the heart of every woman, even those who cannot articulate the feeling. Women were made to nurture something. We see this today in the huge increase in fur babies. The desire to bear good fruit in this world will never evaporate. It only finds new avenues for expression. In today's episode, I chat with a beautiful woman named Jacinta. Jacinta and her husband experienced the crushing realization of infertility. After much heartache and questioning, they surrendered themselves to the will of God, and many long years later became the parents to two unique, curious, and wonderful little boys. Jacinta's story shows how being open to life, albeit with all its challenges, allows God the opportunity to display his abundant providence. God calls each and every one of us to stretch our idea of what we think our lives should look like and to entrust them to him. Let him fill in all the gaps along our earthly pilgrimage. I once read that to mother a child that is not biologically yours is a testament to how deeply Eucharistically your life is becoming. So join me in listening to Jacinta's story. Just quickly, before we dive into the conversation with Jacinta, this is your last chance to register for the Arise Women's Retreat this September in Glenbrook at St Vimbar's Parish. I would really love to see you there. We have wonderful speakers, some who have flown interstate to speak with you. The food is amazing. The company is amazing. But most importantly, Your relationship with Jesus is going to be amazing. Eucharistic healing adoration just tops off the whole day where you encounter Jesus Christ, the Son of the Living God, in the appearance of bread, right in front of you in Eucharistic healing adoration, where you reach out to Him like the hemorrhaging woman. You lay everything at His feet and ask Him to bring those broken places those places in your heart back to life. I really wanna see you on the 16th of September. So this is your last chance. Registrations close on the 9th of September. Go to the link in the show notes to register or hop on over to trybooking.com and type in Arise Women's Retreat. Can't wait to see you there. Enjoy the conversation with Jacinta. Welcome to the podcast, Jacinta. Before we dive into the conversation, I would love for you to tell the listeners who you are and what your life looks like right now.
1: Okay, um, as you said, my name's Jacinda. I live in a small, really small town, just 20 minutes out of Toowoomba, which is in Queensland, uh, where I was born and raised, um, left for a bit and then came back, so yeah. Um, I have extended family and friends all here that I've I've spent years forming those connections, and I live with my husband, who's a tradie, and I'm a stay-at-home mum. I have two little boys, nine and four, but he's turning five next month.
0: Fantastic! Well, that's yes. very very lovely. Jacinta, have you yes. always been Catholic? Yes, I was
1: raised into a um faithful Catholic family, so baptized all the sacraments. Um went to a, a Catholic primary school, then I went to a non-Catholic Christian high school for a couple of years, then was high um homeschooled mm-hmm. um for the remaining years. But um my faith came from home. Um it was just a part of what we we always did every day with family prayer, Rosary at night, um conversations at the dinner table. It was just a, a part of very important part of, of our lives. So mm. I'm the eldest of five. So yes, and I had to be often, well, was all, often responsible, helped with, housework and minding the younger siblings, particularly my youngest sister. Mm. Yes.
0: Did did you always feel maternal? Yes. Yes. I, um,
1: again, I I had, I helped out at home a lot. I remember even as a child thinking I wanted to be a Mm mum always. Then I went to uni. I um, studied education. So I was um, a teacher and mostly did the early childhood years. Um, I, I left, so after I, I finished, well, while I was working at uni, even I was also working with children um, in care sort of settings, after school care, vacation care, things like that. Um, And I met in that setting I met some children who had who were in foster care and i didn't really understand why that i observed some of their reactions when they found themselves in stressful situations and so forth and I, I i i literally had to went that they would literally take off sometimes if the situation got too tense for them i'd literally chase them down the street uh, sometimes they were so scared um so without understanding it i had observed a pattern and, and one of the settings i worked in i particularly there were quite a number of, of foster kids there um then i left i got a job teaching and i left Toowoomba for a while but i had a um a boyfriend <laughs> and um so i and he was in Toowoomba and um he we were doing the long distance relationship but I felt I couldn't really make it was getting to the point I had to make a decision about what I was going to do about this boyfriend so um we were spending a lot of time on the phone and and flying backwards and forwards but I I left that job which I loved teaching job to decide whether or go back home basically to decide if I was going to marry him or not and then I did so (laughs) then yeah (laughs) Uh, um Really, yeah, wonderful, greatest day of my life. He is also a cradle Catholic. He was raised in a large Catholic family, so mm-hmm. I had a, I, I married into a huge family. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the eldest as well, so he had a lot of the responsibility at home as well, helping with the kids. And um, before, I mean, at our wedding, the youngest was only two, mm-hmm. so she's just left school now. But um, so large family, so still um, lots of little children. Yeah. And we, we lived in Brisbane and I continued to work in education with little children. Um, I was working in uh, childcare centres as, uh, as in group leaders in childcare rooms, but also then because I was a teacher, um, I ended up often doing kindy and teaching the kindy program in those settings. So, lots uh, all the time, I was getting lots of experience and you know, observing
0: mm-hmm. lots of things about little children. <laughs> um, so, yeah. What we would love to talk about today on this episode is your struggle yep. with infertility. Um, yes. So, here you are from two big Catholic families, always surrounded by a lot of children, working with children, very good with children. So, you married young, I imagine you were pretty young. I was twenty-four. My husband was twenty-one. Okay, so yes, -hmm. very young. Uh, I imagine you would have expected that children would have come fast, (laughs) many, yeah, and and quickly. Uh, Was that? Yes,
1: I. Yes, I. um, It didn't occur to me. On to be honest, I must say, I was very busy with work, and I did enjoy it, and busy with getting married and planning a wedding. Once I got married, once we settled, yeah, I really, that's what I've always wanted, that's what I was hoping for and all of a sudden there was a a lot, a strong desire there. Um, We didn't actually really own that much or anything but it didn't matter that much to us and we always knew we had a supportive family around us anyway. Um, But we we just assumed, you know, that... (laughs) That's what was
0: going to happen. Hmm. But it didn't. Um, how how I, soon into your marriage did you realise that children may take a while to, to come?
1: Um, it got to a year and I, more than a, a little over a year, And I was just chatting to well, it was my mum. Yeah, I was going to someone close to me, but who's closer than your mum? It was my mum, and she she basically um, said, "Uh, you know, maybe oh, I've always had a lot of pain every month, very crippling pain." And she said, "You know, maybe sometimes that's a sign that maybe you might need to do some investigations and just go see the doctor." And because she said that. I did. Um, it had been over a year, and yeah, it, it. I had incredible pain every month. I just thought that that was just part and parcel of it all. It never occurred to me that it w- was a sign of something unusual. Um, but uh, yeah, I went to see. We knew um, being all being both Catholics, and we were very clear on we're well brought up <laughs> well raised well taught knew what the teachings were so IVF was never a thing it, it I think we barely mentioned it really we knew that wasn't what we were doing but there were in Brisbane some Catholic doctors who did nafro technology so I went to see them and that's where um I got the ball rolling I did everything I was told I ended up um, having a some months into that i ended up having a laparoscopy um, that was at at the royal brisbane hospital and that was actually a really quite a long lengthy um process it was about four hours i think because there they found so much in well the doctor very good doctor surgeon found so much endometriosis in there it took him quite a long time
0: mm. and
1: it was quite extensive um and it's not a nice but I'm sure many people are I know many women have had that procedure it's not very nice really so I remember i um, waking up in a lot of pain from that so yeah that was my diagnosis but I kept going anyway <laughs> I um and did everything they told us to do all the um, I'd had all the appointments and all the blood tests and um got to the point where we were trying things like I was trying injections of hormones and if I went to see family in Toowoomba I had to take my little esky (laughs) with my injections in
0: there Mm. um
1: and And how was was your
0: for you emotionally at this point
1: it was hard um really hard because you you can't ignore it or push it away because you have to do your appointments and, and you, you need to try and you're always thinking about it because that's what you have to do every day is yeah. is um, map it all out and um chart it all out. And it was was really hard. You couldn't ignore it or pretend it wasn't there. Um, and I really wanted it and I really wanted it to work hard, but uh, I really wanted it to work. I wanted to work hard at it. But mm. it it wasn't working, and I, I kept getting um, discouraged. Uh, eventually, then, because so I was I was I was doing this for a couple of years, and eventually, then um, I I got exhausted of the roller coaster up and down. But it just turned into a sort of a constant sort of feeling of loss and sadness and grief. So um, was it every
0: month, thinking this will be the month, and being totally let down. Initially,
1: after a while, I just didn't hope for, mu- hope for too much. But I kept trying. Um, anyway, just in case. <laughs> um, after after over a few months, um, what about and then then you, you, marriage?
0: Like with your husband, was mm, did you feel what? Like, be on it. Like, you don't have to answer. Yeah, you don't want to. But yeah. did you feel like you were letting him down? um
1: I, I did I did he never ever like he would never ever never said that ever
0: yeah. ever said that
1: and and uh, we had a nice marriage really um but I did feel that because um yeah it was obviously my my medical condition that was the issue mm-hmm. um so I did I did feel that and I other than the the fact that I was I was emotional and sad at times I think our marriage was still good in spite of that yeah and he he was supportive. Um
0: and did your faith play yeah. a role in this? Like in the in the fact that very you- v- very much so, but I yeah, very much so.
1: It did. I um but I I suppose that desire was so so strong and I was so gutted. Um but I tried I prayed and prayed and prayed and I asked and I asked and I asked. Um uh, after a while. I even um, at times I would see other 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 women. At first I felt I was the only person who was infertile. It felt like everybody else was having no troubles and it was only me. After a while I did meet other women and then I would be so sad for them because nobody understood more than me <laughs> what it was like. So I decided what, all, what am I going to do with all this sorrow and pain and brought up. I was taught what you can do <laughs> with your sorrow is offer it up. As your mother always say to you, well, <laughs> offer it up. Um, so I did, I would, I would, it was never that, sorry, I was never very hard to find. So I'd, I'd, I'd offer it all up and, um, offer it for them, for their intentions that they would have a child. And guess what? It, it happened a number of times that they did. And then I started to realize, well, that prayer was answered with such expediency, um, that I, I guess I realized slowly that my prayer was being answered but the answer was no that not yet this is not not, this is not not for you
0: um
1: so in spite of all the pain i uh, emotional pain i mean um i decided to accept i just decided to accept it and then with the acceptance even though it didn't stop hurting it it got a lot better once I realized, and I just accepted it. it. It did, and and I, I stopped going to the doctor after a while. At least I stopped doing it so much, and um, would just have an appointment every now and then. And it got to the point where I was really just doing the appointments only for my own health, because I still had this condition. Mm. Um. So I. I did it for my own health more than any other reason and but the acceptance really helped but the desire never 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 went away. Um, I I just always was very clear and I knew
0: that I um was going to be a mother. Was there a freedom that came from accepting that this is God's will for you?
1: Absolutely yes. I could leave all of the um all of the charting and all of the uh, all of that away and just there was a bit of a peace um but I think in in that process though in there was there was a freedom from that it never stopped it never stopped though it was just feeling feeling better Mm -hmm. about it acceptance is what it was and a peace but I it started to I started to consider um and another way and I started to consider adoption just quietly in myself mm-hmm. um, because I couldn't stop wishing for it and I, I was confused during this time because I thought why is that desire there then you, you know what I mean it, it hasn't happened but I still want it so much mm-hmm. um, so I just quietly thought about it and I rang I just literally just googled one day the phone number in brisbane um and i rang them and asked for a bit of introductory information as to how it worked i hadn't even told my husband at that stage and i then when i um i thought it through and i thought well how am i going to mention it to my husband and i I kind of just dropped it in as a little joke in conversation he thought i was joking which i was (laughs) and he laughed but I, I, um, it was just planting a seed, so I just, um, brought the conversation back a few times. And I was surprised that he initially thought it was a, a weird idea or a strange idea, but eventually he was open to it. Not didn't take that long, and the first step was, um, an information night in Brisbane in George Street, and that, um, They mark with your attendance. That's the official first step in the process. So um, but the room was packed full of people. I remember I went after work. It was in the evening on a weeknight. We -hmm. both went and um, it was packed. But me being me, um, I'm not um, really a pushy person, but when it matters, I I just don't ever stop so i didn't even let a room full of people even bother me at all whereas i can imagine i definitely can understand how that would be very off-putting for many people to see because It was packed full of people and yet they stand up there with a PowerPoint presentation and they tell you, you know, last year eight children were placed in Queensland. The year before that seven children were placed in Queensland and you look at the numbers and then you look at these hundreds of people in the room. I can understand. Mm. But um, as a matter of fact, those numbers really do turn so many people away and I just didn't get turned away i didn't wow. so, um, so
0: really eight eight children were placed in and look i don't know or or adoption yeah i i adoption yeah mm-hmm. it
1: local adoption too and then there would be another say you might say 12 children uh, international adoption wow. and i don't know Numbers. I have been following it. I don't know what the numbers are like um, in more recent years, but I know um, with my first son that it was something like that for the whole year for local adoption.
0: And hundreds um, of families wanting to take children. Yeah.
1: yeah. And so most people think, well, I've got a snowball's chance in hell. Yeah. Um, so, which is understandable. Um, but I anyway, the, the, after that, the next step was to get some paperwork together for an expression of interest. And so at the end of 2011, I remember putting, I vividly remember putting that in the post box yeah. and sending that off. And so then we were put on the expression of interest register. And we were there for about a year. So... Was, no contact. Um, no, no, no follow up. Oh, I, look, I can't remember. They might just occasionally stay in touch with you to tell you this or that or whatever, but there wasn't. Oh, I didn't hear a lot from them. Mm-hmm. Um, just to say, obviously, we've received it. You are on the expression of interest register. They might invite you to some training or something like that, or or an information session. Um, we bought a house actually in that time and started renovating it, which was just what we needed at that time in our lives because it just kept us busy we did that mm-hmm. on the weekends and we're always talking about the next thing we we're going to do to our house um then so that was through that was the end of 2011 to all 2012 Then i remember i actually by that stage was not working with children i'd changed to a different job and it brought in more money which was good um and i remember being working when i received a phone call to say that we had now moved through to the next stage through to the assessment stage and i vividly remember where i was but i remember thinking in my head because at the time we had um our we had no front veranda so we had a two story house and the top story we just locked the <laughs> the doors um Because we had no veranda there, so if you did open the doors, you would fall and die to your death. (laughs) (laughs) Because we were renovating the front veranda and we were renovating. We had a big pit out the front of our house because we were going to build a a carport there. And I remember thinking far out we, because I knew full well the assessment process involved four visits from a social worker to our home, and I remember thinking we better get cracking. (laughs) 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 <laughs> not no we've got the most dangerous house in the in the whole state mm-hmm. um so because they do come and do safety checks and all that sort of stuff on your house and see if it's a suitable place for a child to live so I thought it definitely was not at that moment so we that. got we got going my husband's family has lots of tradies so we got going really fast on our renovations it made us go really fast Yes. So that was a big year. That was there's a lot, a huge amount involved in the assessment process. And it did take a whole year. Um, so by the end of 2013, though, we we did have those four visits and I went, me being me, when I really have my heart set on something, I I do it a hundred percent and I put everything into it. And I even made sure I had biscuits baking in the oven when the social workers came because I thought it would feel really homey and they never even eat them. Mm-hmm. But I I made sure we had all colour-coordinated cushions and I even, for goodness sake, so silly, I went and just in case, I made sure the linen cupboard was all clean and tidy and neatly folded and, of course, they don't look in your linen cupboard. That would be weird. But I just was very, very um, over the top. We did get approved by the end of the year. <clears throat> um yeah by that stage you've told them everything about you they they want to know everything so you, you have to be aware that they're going to want to know everything and we were approved at the end of 2013 so I remember we went out for dinner to celebrate and I remember that as well
0: so How beautiful. yes mm. I, I just want to read this because this have you read anything from um Emily Stim, Stimson Chapman no, I haven't. No, she, she's a wonderful writer, but she has also adopted three children. So she yes. she adopted her first son, and then the second one. I think she um, he came a year later, and then when that little boy was three months old, they uh, she got a another baby came up. So she had three under two. Whoa! Yeah, so she had two. Like three months apart. Yes, so her life was topsy-turvy. Yes, I bet it was. She says she wouldn't change it for the world, but she says no of course not. yeah. She says in Genesis 3:16 it says, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. And she writes, you know this verse, you've read it a hundred times, only you think God is being literal, talking about contractions, pushing, and episiotomies. But God is never just literal, Emily. He means what he says, and he means more. That is what the church calls the two senses of Scripture, literal and spiritual. The words on the page are the literal sense. They're true as written. The spiritual sense flows from literal sense. It doesn't contradict the literal meaning, but deepens it, shedding new light on how that particular Scripture passage applies to the life of faith, the moral life, or the life of the world to come which is why The Curse of Eve can be about so much more than physical pain. It can also be about more than physical motherhood. For motherhood in all its forms, physical, adoptive, foster, spiritual, is born of suffering. For some, that suffering looks like months of nausea, back pain and bed rest, or ovarian wedge restrictions, uh, progesterone shots. For others, it looks like home studies, humiliating fundraisers, months of rejection. It can also look like depression and anxiety before and after birth. It can look like worry about finances, birth defects, or how on earth you will handle another baby when you're barely surviving the ones you have. It also can look like rejection from your family, the father's family, or even the father. It can look like realizing you're chained yourself forever to a man who's all wrong for you. It can mean enduring the scorn of, or pity of others. It can mean navigating the frustrating complexities of courts and caseworkers and birth parents consumed by their own struggles. It can mean letting go of a dream to die so that a baby can live. And I just thought, wow, you know, all motherhood in all its forms yep. is hard. Yes, yes, and yes. No, no less Less meaningful and painful as you know delivering a child physically yourself you're, you're delivering yes. a child, aren't you by all the ups and downs even you know yes babies, all the little yes babies. it is <laughs> it, it's birthing
1: yes and through this process um even though there there was no child and and um looking back the child that we we did did come home hadn't even been born at, at this in 2013, but we were renovating our house with the idea of making it safe and making it um, a, home. a good home. Our home, yeah. We had we knew which room our child would would be his or hers when they came home. So we spent ages preparing. <laughs> um, so then, more than nine um, months. <laughs> yeah, way more. Um, that's right. And yeah. And so then twenty fourteen was a year of waiting for us. Um we were so
0: did you get the tick of approval after all of that? And then it's like we were
1: approved after one year at the end of twenty thirteen, and then um then they don't give you a timeline at all. It's all about matching you to the correct, the most suitable, not correct, the most suitable. Child, as far as what the staff um, in the office there are uh, determined based on a lot of consideration.
0: doesn't have a say.
1: Yes. Um, so um, the the department, the uh, the staff of the department will go through based on what um, the birth mother or the birth family say, and then everything we've said, and who we are. Um, and the needs of the child, and they will match it all up and they will come up with a number, I can't remember exactly, maybe two or three of their top choices. They present those top choices to the birth mother and then the birth mother has their say, her say. Um, I, I do remember um, it. The, this being described to me that, um, when our file was presented along with some others that the um, it was read out and the birth mother had two different coloured pens and um, was marking according to her preference but the, the fam- she, we were her preference um, so but that doesn't that's not even that is not necessarily the final say the department will then go back and have another meeting about that and make sure that they're still okay with that decision so she does have some degree of of input. Mm.
0: so wow. and she does and she, and so we, yeah
1: <laughs> yeah so we were waiting for for the 2014 was just waiting really and so we just got into life and busy and more renovation <laughs> and then um still finishing it off and then um 2015 again more, more waiting. But I remember um, it was St Patrick's Day, mm. and I was working, and I was wearing green. I'm from Irish ancestry, so I do always mark the day, and I, I, I did go to mass that morning, and um, I was working, I was. In my car, and I had parked my car, and my phone went off, and it was my personal phone, not my work phone. It was an unknown number, and <clears throat> I always answered those because it was either um, a telemarketer or it was the ad- adoption services because they ring from an unknown number. And I answered it, and it was the um, case our caseworker, and she said, I'm "Just in am just ring to let you know we have a placement proposal for you." Uh, uh, and um she said he's a he's a, a little boy and he is one he's just had his first birthday and I that was it that's all she had to say I was just um hysterical mm. in tears um on the other end of the phone I could barely get it out um I just said I'm um, something like I'm, I'm going to have to talk to my husband okay or something and then um I just hung up so but that's all that I knew. That was all they tell you. That's all they'll tell you um, because they don't want to give you any more information. They want you to have a chance to think it through. So I rang my husband. He was pretty chuffed, as you can imagine, and we had to quickly organise the next day off because then we had to drive to Brisbane to the office there where they present to you a large wad of um, paperwork, huge pile, and it's all everything about that they know. That they are able to tell you about that child. So we that night we were very excited. I, that day I was working and I finished working, but um my feet weren't even touching the ground. I was floating on a cloud. But then that night um nerves <laughs> hit, and and my husband and I were up in the middle of the night. We couldn't even sleep, and we were up. We remembered. There's last-minute paper. We knew the process, so we knew there would be some last-minute paperwork to do, so I think in the middle of the night we were trying to work out if our insurances were all up to date or something. That I can't even remember. And because we lived at the beach at the time, we we were up um, early already. We couldn't sleep, so we went and had a walk on the beach and try to calm ourselves down, and then we drove to Brisbane um, at the appointed time. And we learned all about our son, who was to be, not yet, but... Um, just such a cutie they show you photos and you uh, that you can take it home so we we did and we um they tell you that um you are not to accept the placement proposal for a mandatory I think it's 48 hours it could be more than that 36 but I think they deliberately usually time the phone call for a, a Tuesday, then you have your meeting on a Wednesday so that then you officially accept the placement if you're going to on a Friday. And they even give you, like, the time. Like, it has to be down to that hour. Um, so we, we read through all the information and there was nothing at all that would would make us say no, so we rang to accept the placement proposal. And um, that was a Friday, so more celebration and I mean, just <clears throat> then you don't you don't know then if it's going to be. It could be two weeks or it could be six weeks until the court date. Um, for us, there was Easter, so it was um, there was Easter, so we had to have Easter. And then once Easter was out of the way, we went to court. So we were finishing getting the house ready in that time. We bought the cot. And you you get to ask the foster carer what's needed and what type of car seat you need, what type of pram you need, that sort of stuff. So we did all that, went to court. And um, that was so exciting. And then went we went to our local court where we were living at the time. Then we went straight from there. To, to meet him for the first time. He was living 10 minutes away with his foster care from where we were living at the time. Yeah, and I rem- I even remember before I even knew where he lived officially, because I didn't actually find out until the court day, but I remember seeing one of the photos actually that they gave us and I thought, I know that place, and I had the strongest hunch that he was living pretty close by. <laughs> um. Yeah, so... Yeah, I had so many emotions. I had had so many emotions. So, And then, you know, the, the awareness that there's huge loss in the other story as well. So we went to meet him for the first time and I, I remember sitting in the car, I had so many emotions all at once. Um, my husband was so excited that we parked the car out the front of the address we were given and said, come on, come on, come on, let's go, but I wanted to stay, which was weird after all these years (laughs) but I I was um, terrified to be honest Mm. um nervous and anxious and overwhelmed um so but anyway I had to do it knocked on the door and um there he was because he was a toddler he he was running around he ran over to see us because we were some exciting new people and um he liked to looked down at my shoes for some reason like my shoes and then he looked up and gave my husband the the first hug he's always been a daddy's boy so he still is now so mm. um yeah yeah so then you spent we spent um three two days getting to know him so we obviously went home the first night without him again um we had to get so to how long him did you have week. with him that first day just a few hours that or? was that yes well that was after the court. Uh, we went there straight away and we stayed there till we went to bed that night. So it was half a day. Then we went back the next day, spent the whole day there, one more day, and then they were talking. The, you, you have a social worker present with you. We had social worker who was just just wonderful there as well for most of the time, just helping out and overseeing everything and being the liaison, I suppose and um they've done it many times before they're very professional um by that day they were organizing for the following day for us to take him home so again uh, my husband was super keen yep 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 let's let's get him home and I was like can I even do this (laughs) Mm -hmm. um all the doubt and I was Mm -hmm. so it was but you know I was obviously deliriously happy but nervous so many emotions all at once and I also could never forget, I can never forget the the loss of his story as well, of course. Mm-hmm. Um so uh anyway, by um, April the 16th, um that year he came home to us for the first time. Once again, my husband Keen, up the house, bring him up the house, showing
0: him all the house, showing him everything, because
1: we've been busy buying toys. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And so everything. What, so it, what's that like know. taking him away from the foster
1: family? He, um, yeah, sad. Yeah, he'd been. I must say he well he'd been there, um, seven months, and he had been living with another foster family six months before that. Um, wow, which was, uh, which, which was something i actually knew could be could be a bit more complex because he'd had repeated separations yeah. um and it, it turned out it was he 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 did have um in it took a long time for him to bond and feel safe and happy a really long time longer than i expected long, and it was how
0: long are we talking
1: well the the first year um yeah, it showed. He he latched on to his father straight away. Just loved him, and they joked a lot. They still do. Um, and but me, he was really happy to for me to take care of him and 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 everything. Uh, but he 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 showed it when when he'd sort of hurt himself or something with people around. He didn't come and find his mum. For a long time, he would just go to the closest person. Um, it, it's something that's hard to describe, but but as as mum, you know, when they know your mum and when they don't quite feel that that your mum. And he he, you know, uh, you could tell he was um feeling unsettled and and not quite that I was mum for quite a long time. But I feel after a year, it really started to settle down. So we they they train you actually for, for this. Um, during your preparation and they tell you to read books and I did and I'm glad I did um, because uh, it, it's the type of parenting you need to do is really high nurture, loads of nurturing and
0: caring um, and loads of consistency and loads of structure and keeping things the same. And how, and, does, that, how does that work with your personality? Were you able to give high nurturing?
1: Uh, absolutely. Like, yeah, I am a very nurturing, As actually, um that's why I ended up with the younger children. I, I always thought I might teach upper primary because I, I like the academic side of teaching, but I quickly realised and so I did um, my employers that I'm more of a nurturing type. So I ended up with the younger children often. So it suited me just fine. And um, But it, I was a new mum as well, and so you're a new mum and then you've got the unique um, issues that adoption brings. Mm. And he did have a few other sort of mild to moderate things that children have allergies and, and working out what his allergies were and and that sort of stuff as well. So um, it was a big year. I remember thinking it was the best year of my life and the hardest year of my life at the same time. Thanks. But he really settled. He really settled into it. It took him a long time even to say mum, whereas he was da, right? almost straight away, da, da, da. But mum came much, much, much later. Yeah, so did you, because
0: did, that, did you did that cause a bit of tension between you and your husband? The fact that he bonded more with your husband than with you was there a um,
1: no, no, there wasn't. But I and I and I had read actually, um, in one of the parenting books, actually specifically about toddlers because he was a toddler. That often toddlers, newly when they're new in the family, will prefer one parent over the other, and um, I actually. Was it was a great thing that I was able to also reach out to other adoptive parents, and there was another family where their son was placed around the same time as my son, and um, they said the same thing that he preferred one parent over the other. So that was I was at peace with it, and I just knew I had to be patient. But I do remember saying to my husband once, "Make sure you encourage um, him. him to to this is this is your mum sort of thing." So. Mm. He took that on board. So. Yeah. But there was, it was, it was, um, yeah. But being a new, um, being new parents, it, it creates a whole new dimension to your marriage as well, for sure. Mm.
0: Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I was tired. <laughs> we were all tired. It's interesting that you uh, received your son into your home after Easter because yes. there really, really was a death, a dying to self. Yeah. And then resurrection. Yes,
1: yes, and it it is when when you're you become a mum, isn't it that you 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 do die to yourself, and it can be a shock to the system,
0: absolutely. Yeah, it's so beautiful that our Lord gave you that um, unique insight into the real Easter story, like that dying and. New life comes forth like this. Yes,
1: absolutely, how absolutely. It was. It was. Yes, and then of course, um, our our first Christmas months later with with a child in our home. That's very special as well.
0: Yeah, you can't. Yes. Christmas with children is another level. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Nothing like it. <laughs> so how many years had you been married before you received your first? Um, oh. son?
1: We had been married eight years. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but um, I look back and I think, well, um, adoptive parenting is is a it's a unique thing and, and, and in our society it's not very uh, common. Or mm-hmm. uh, So um, I'm glad that, uh, in retrospect, I'm glad I had a, those extra years for our marriage as well and to get more settled and um, to be, Bit more, just more maturity, more wisdom, um, and that I'd had more time to accept that I was where I was supposed to be, that where God meant me to be. So, in retrospect, it was perfect timing. But it seems like a long time. Oh yeah,
0: he has perfect hmm. timing, even though we think it's not so perfect in the while we're going through it. But when you look, yeah, back, absolutely, you see that. Yes he it's perfect yes
1: and i i am very human so i react very in a very human human way to all the disappointments and all the struggles (laughs) but um all the time god's got it all under control Mm
0: -hmm. motherhood's worth the pain and it's worth the waiting yeah (laughs) yeah it's worth the demands yes it is yes um yeah you wouldn't have it any other way no so then
1: after a year we we finalized the process um after a year and so then that's all done as far as your involvement with the department but then my husband was the first one to say well let's get a sibling for our son um and i was exhausted <laughs> happy but exhausted but i thought wow can i do that again and um but then of course with time I noticed I realized, of course, that adoption doesn't happen overnight. So I still had lots of time to get more used to being a mother and um and and having our son with us. So very soon after we finalized the first one, we began the process all over again for for a, a um sibling.
0: So is that that double as exhausting, or did you was it easier because you had seen that is, yes we the joy we knew
1: of- yeah we knew it was easier it was it was not as full-on we also knew this time I knew maybe I didn't need to make bickies when the um, <laughs> social workers came because they don't eat them anyway um and I was more relaxed um still obviously did everything we had to do we could um there were some aspects of it we could use again but change it just a little bit because obviously now we were in new circumstances and we had moved house as well. We actually moved back to be closer to, partway through that process anyway, we moved back to be closer to family, which I'm extremely glad. Again, that was God doing that again because now um, I really need them. <laughs> but um, so we was easier um. Some bits were fast-tracked, so where the first bit we were on the expression of interest register for a year the first time, I think it was only a month, and then we were through to the assessment process, which still took the same length of time because they still did everything they did the first time, so it still took a year. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Yeah, and then this time we were waiting longer this time, so both times the process took three and a half years. It's not... It, it, it was just a coincidence because there's no set time um for it to take it takes as long as it takes but that's just the way it worked out really and was your second yeah. child uh, a toddler when you- no our second child um this time um I got the phone call this is so this is again where God knows better than I do because um my bigger boy, was now five and off to kindy and full of confidence. He's always been very confident and a happy-go-lucky kid. So he was doing very well, thank you very much, at at kindy. And I dropped him. He'd been going a couple of weeks and he was just so over it. So all over it is what I mean, Um, had it in his stride. So I was saying to a very nice mum, At drop-off, I said, I think, she said, what are you going to do today? I said, I'm going to go home and I'm going to brush up my resume and I'm going to get me a job because he's very happy at kindy so I might pick up a bit of teaching work again. And I went home, did a few jobs and then started to turn my mind to my resume and the phone rang and it was an unknown number. And um, I once again, yeah. (laughs) And it was, um, it was an unknown number and it was our our social worker who was a different one this time. And she said, Jacinta, just to let you know, we have a placement proposal for you. And it's a six-month-old baby boy. Um, and this time, instead of crying, I laughed a bit hysterically and um, told my husband, couldn't get in touch with him actually, so rang his boss and basically said to his boss, he needs the day off. <laughs> tomorrow and the boss was laughing about that later to my husband saying my goodness it must be something important and um once again we we had to find care this time for our older son and then we went to brisbane and we're given a wad of information uh, but this time um we got the sense that There was a complication. Um, There was just something there because of the tones of their voice and they were saying, you don't have to take 48 hours. You can take longer this time, take as long as you need to make the decision. And we thought, oh, why are they saying that sort of stuff? Mm -hmm. They said, you might want to reach out to specialists. You might want to get more advice. Mm -hmm. And we thought, oh, why are they saying that sort of stuff? We were wondering and they gave us the information. Um, So, um, yeah, he he had basically at the meeting and the information at the meeting was that he had a turned in eye and that he did have a visual impairment and that um, it was picked up that he couldn't really see much um at one of his checkups at three or four months old that um, he'd been to the ophthalmologist, that there was nothing wrong with his eyes or his brain. And he'd had many, many, many tests and scans and so forth. He'd been all checked out by all the best experts. Mm, so um, it was likely uh, something called delayed visual maturation where the vision takes a what war- they, they have newborn vision for longer than they ought to um, and that it should resolve. And then at the one of the checkups right before they rang us, um, He did seem to be tracking and following objects in front of his face at the ophthalmologist, so they thought, good, his vision's come in. Um, He does have a slightly turned-in eye. He has the most beautiful eyes, though, this this beautiful shade of blue. That was one of the things that struck me when I first saw the photos was his eyes. Um, And they basically said that if there's any delay in his development, the experts that they could, they, these are people are not medical experts, these are social workers, but they rely on the advice of the medical experts who advise them that the delay may very well be due to his delayed visual development. And that was sort of what we were, that was the gist of it, that was the impression they had at the time. He was only young. But we took all the information where I read it and being an educator, I read it through and I thought, hmm, he definitely hasn't received uh, achieved some of his milestones that I would have thought he might have by now. And I, I had to read very carefully because it wasn't stated he is not sitting yet. It simply said sits with support, uh, sort of thing, when you read it very carefully in the foster only in the foster carer's notes. Um so I reading between the lines very carefully, I thought, oh, it's possible that there might be a complication there. Um, however, I, I thought, what can we do from our end really as regards specialist advice? So I thought at the end of the day, um, this is an act of trust. Um, we're going to um, just put this in God's hands. And I did feel really, because I was already a mother, I knew it was hard work and I um, I did feel like I was um, basically stepping on the edge of a, of a step, but the next step was was murky and foggy and I couldn't see the next step and I didn't even know how high that step was or how low that step was or what was there when I got there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just basically just had a feeling that I just had to surrender and just had to trust and, and come what may, um, we would we would do it together. Um, I do remember feeling... I had a feeling from reading the notes and it was really careful reading. It wasn't obvious at all um, that I had a feeling in my gut it could be a somewhat of of, of a more complex situation. Um, But anyway, we were very excited, very happy. I remember the moment we told our son as well and look on his face I'll never forget that. I recorded it as well when he first Mm. found out. And um, because we didn't tell him actually at all until – when we got back from Brisbane that day and um, we were so excited and he was telling everyone at kindy and um, got the baby stuff back out again that we'd packed away and um, went to court. I do remember the magistrate even on the day in Brisbane saying um, this child may have possible developmental delay. But I said, and she actually directly asked us, um, uh, directly asked us basically do you wish to take this child as your own and we said we do it was you know like on our um, wedding day (laughs) um and I again remember thinking come what may um we, we can do this hopefully I was still feeling nervous and anxious of course as well went to meet him and he um was in Brisbane at the time and um I remember meeting him at the front door. The foster care had set up blue balloons and um, streamers and things, and we met him at the front door. So cute. Um, I'll tell you, though, my first thought was because I was an educator and I was just looking at him, and I I have to say my first thought was, gee, he's not really sitting up that well. (laughs) Um, But anyway, um, we met him. He's just (laughs) so yeah well, straight away I, I thought I'm this child's mother, so I'm going to try and learn as much as I can mm. um yeah, so again, it was the same sort of basic process the rest of that day the next day and then the day after that we we that's that is sad we we took him home um and he yeah, happy in the car as long as it was moving that trip so we didn't stop <laughs> mm. <laughs> and just got him home and he was yeah lovely. This time not as much um, attachment and bonding issues because he was a baby and he needed us to feed him and change him and all of that. I didn't notice very much, all the only thing I did notice was a huge a disruption in his sleep. Um, he wasn't sleeping very well and he pretty much lost his his whole sleep pattern. Um, it was non-existent after a few months and, and I was the most exhausted <laughs> mother you've ever met. <laughs> <laughs> and he stayed that way he didn't sleep well for years so it was very exhausting but he's he's much better now um but anyway it was pretty clear to us pretty much from the start that he did have some developmental issues um yeah uh, possibly more than uh, so i was going to say possibly more than the impression I got or the impression that the social workers had. I remember ringing the department at one stage um, and they seemed taken aback by by what I was saying about my concerns. I think they hadn't realised. But it, it, it's just when when it's your child and you're the mother, you, um, you just have a, a sixth sense and you just um, study this child so carefully. And, and I already had knowledge under my belt of of child development and i'd been a a mother once already and i just uh, both but it wasn't it was my husband as well we both felt pretty sure that he wasn't quite developmentally where he should be so it went on like that and all of a sudden i found myself um not sure what to do how do i start this process of getting an assessment um how do i get the ball rolling i didn't really know what to do um found a, a doctor who had had it just he, just a normal bulk build GP but he had had experience as a paediatrician so he um basically told me what I needed to do next and um I think it was about at 11 months we got a referral to see a paediatrician and he referred him for a uh like many people because he's the most um beautiful perfect looking child and and not obvious it's not obvious um and it's true that his visual impairment could explain many things um so um but he he dismissed me at first but then as the appointment went on basically by the end of the appointment he had a diagnosis of global developmental delay and did refer him yeah did refer him for a bunch of tests and one of those tests was something called a microarray um which is a genetic test it took a, we did that i took him to the local hospital it did that it took a month for it to came come back he turned 1 in that time and when it came back um we found that um, he has a rare um, genetic syndrome um, they found a small deletion on the long arm of his um one copy of the 15th chromosome. So I tell people he has a piece of his 15th chromosome missing, which is a simplistic way of saying it and not exactly correct. But most people don't really need to know all the intricate details anyway. It just it, he's got a genetic deletion. So mm-hmm. um turns out we do have a um, beautiful and adorable child, but he does have a, a lot of special needs. So that has been a whole new adventure and a very steep learning curve. But settling into it, would you believe, it, it's been, I mean, everything prior to that wasn't really a strain on family life or marriage really up until now, <laughs> and this child was. He didn't sleep <laughs> um, mm. it, as gorgeous as he was. We all adore him, and he's a source of great joy. He's so cute. Um, and because he's delayed in his development, he's still like a little baby like I still have um this, this he gorgeous he's nearly five mm-hmm. uh, but he he's still quite babyish yes. and it's cute though he's ridiculously cute um so he's very endearing everybody loves him mm-hmm. um uh, but um it, it he didn't sleep um and it's been obviously um uh yeah hard but very rewarding as well and as you said earlier, th- there's no way I, w- I would ever do anything differently at all. So I'm glad I took that leap of faith.
0: Hmm. Absolutely. And how, with these other pressures and dynamics, how how has your faith brought you through this? Yes. Well. well has it, um, has it? Yes. No.
1: Absolutely, it has. I must say, um, when God gave us this child he knew that I was not alone though that's the thing um because I don't think I I could have have done this on my own and God was guiding us again when we decided to move back home where all our family is and we've got a very big family and very loving and very supportive and um, he knew we were not alone and Mm. I think he knew that we needed other people um I think I've had to um be humble. I've had to learn to ask for help. I've had to learn that I can't do it all. I can't keep the house tidy and do everything. I can't, I have at times struggled to, with dinner and to get dinner on the table with the demands of everything else. And I've had to admit that I've had to really be vulnerable and, but everybody's been wonderful. Um, Mm. so generous and kind and, um, yeah god was i i just i just had to trust and i just god was looking after us god's looking after us not only the day to day but in who's he's who he has put around me as well so um yeah i and i i pray obviously for both my boys every day but i pray um i pray to st lucy because she's the patron saint of of people with with vision problems yeah, and we yeah. were able to give him a second name which is a male um derivative of of the name lucy um and he did at 18 months receive another diagnosis of of something called cvi or cortical visual impairment mm-hmm. um because mm-hmm. even though his vision had improved it wasn't I, after a while i started to realize he he was not really seeing things very well and um I prayed I pray to St. Lucy um every day, but his vision, it, CVI is whilst it is the um I think I read it's the leading cause of blindness in children in the developed world. Um however it's a it's also something that can improve with time. Mm-hmm. So um it has, it just has, uh, unbelievably um the way he's able to get himself around now, sometimes it's hard to believe that he has this diagnosis. Um, He he, he used to fall over and stumble over things at his feet. He he still does, but he doesn't do it as much. He's Mm. able to get himself around playgrounds and things independently. He was using a cane for a while, but he became a bit lethal with his cane. He started waving it around too much. So he has to do that only under supervision now. But um using his cane helped him to be aware of what's down on the ground more. And so he almost doesn't, it helped him. He needed it for a while. It helped him, but um you it should became see it a away weapon. <laughs> yeah, it was weaponized. Exactly. It was a bit, yeah. But um it, but it was also useful. He still loves it, but doesn't need it as much as he used to. And he he's improved so much. So I thank St. Lucy. Um CVI is in condition with the correct intervention and help it it
0: keeps improving fantastic so he, he's getting loads of help yeah um Jacinda, so, if there was one thing you could say to a woman who is experiencing um loneliness or feeling infertility or feeling that things are just too surmountable like this what is one thing that you could suggest? To them, uh, as as an um, encouragement or yeah. suggestion. Well,
1: yeah. Well, I um, wrote it down before, and then because I had to move places, I I don't have it. But there's a I think it's a verse from Jeremiah, and it basically in the Bible, and it basically says, um, "For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you." Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm sorry, I can't remember the exact words. I know. No basically. Yeah, basically it's saying that he has, God has it, he has it under control, he has a plan for us and it's going to be a plan that will prosper us, that will be wonderful. It's a wonderful plan that God has in mind for us and I know it's hard. Nobody knows more than me how hard it is Um, but it took me, I was very human, believe me, I was very human about it and um, had Mm. very bad days, many (laughs) But I. As um, we all do. Yeah. <laughs> but in retrospect, um, it was all meant to be and it was all for the best. And it was all exactly the way it should have been. Mm. So um, if I had um, conceived naturally the way that um, most people do and had a family the way most people do, um, I never would have met my boys and we would never have the family that we have now so i didn't know what was best for me god did so Mm -hmm. it's hard in that i know how hard it is in that moment in the moment i know but it 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 will once you discover what god's plan is for you it it will be all 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 right Mm -hmm. it will be okay yeah that's That's what i would say
0: Mm. thank you for That. that I need to hear that too, as much yeah. as can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, That's Jacinda, right. before I finish the podcast, I always ask my guests something that has brought them joy this week. Can you think of one thing that has brought you? Mm, well, you,
1: yeah. I I was wondering if I could extend it back to two weeks because my oldest son made his first Holy Communion two weeks oh. ago. That brought me great joy. That was a wonderful day, and um, how beautiful! I was very, yeah, I was very proud of him. Yeah. He did That's all his, yeah, he did all his learning and um yeah, he did so well on the day.
0: That's such a special day. Oh, yeah.
1: God.
0: It was wonderful. Yeah. And if you hadn't been in his life then he may not have ever made his first holy communion. Correct. Yes, absolutely. Oh, what, a, what a beautiful yeah. plan that God likes. To yeah. Yeah. Un- um, how in
1: actual fact, um, not not so much the case with our oldest boy, but the second boy, his his birth mother actually requested he be raised a Catholic. Oh, so that's one of the re- yeah, that's one of the reasons we did get matched with
0: with him. Yeah, and probably one of the reasons. What, did you know that when you were going through the wad of information about? Yes, you? I I read. In fact, I, I read it. Yeah, I read it in her probably would have been it, a standout yeah. in your mind.
1: Yes, yeah, absolutely. And I said, Well, yep, can do that one. Tick that yeah, box.
0: Yeah, yeah. How <laughs> so. lovely. Uh well, what brought me joy was I've just recently come back from Toowoomba from the yes. women's retreat. And it brought me so much joy to see all those beautiful yes. women in uh in Queensland coming to the retreat and just receiving um our Lord in um as with Eucharistic healing adoration it just it undoes me every time i it's very emotional and just seeing these women who um a lot of them are country women who are uh, i don't i don't know whether i'm being fair by saying this but it's very hard to um be emotional i think maybe with you know seasons and you can't really be emotional because You know, Mother Nature has her own way of dealing with things, and you just have to, you know, get on with it because, you know, it's Mm -hmm. either going to rain or it's not going to rain. And there's no point, you know, being emotional about it. But I was at the back of the church at at Adoration, and I could see the women like thinking, I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to be emotional. I won't be emotional. And then as soon as Father Nathan brought our Lord in front of them in the Blessed Sacrament, all their walls, and it was just yes beautiful for me yes them for for father nathan i think just to see it's it's such a beautiful beautiful um witness
1: yes yes thank you
0: yeah that brought me joy and tears (laughs)
1: yes (laughs) in my my world yes yes it brought me joy too yes i had a wonderful time oh that's
0: wonderful all right, Jacinta, it's late and I've got yes. kids knocking on the door, so I'm gonna have yeah. to, I'm gonna have to go. But thank you yes. so much for sharing your story, sharing your heart, and sharing your home with those two beautiful little boys that you now call sons. Yes. Thank you.